Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Real quickly, before we go on, Felly Darn Worship, there's someone here, as we were singing those verses, um, you split the seas so I could walk right through them. My fears are drowned in perfect love. When he brought the Israelites through the Red Sea, he opened the sea up for them to pass through, but equally as important, he closed the Red Sea behind them to swallow up what was pursuing them. And you need to know that when you were baptized into death with Christ, Paul says, for as many of us were baptized, were baptized into his death. When you were baptized into, Paul, into Christ's death with him, when you went down into the water, everything that went into the water with you was drowned in his perfect love. And when you came up out of the water, a new man, alive in Christ, the only thing that came up out of the water with you was him. The only thing that followed them through the water was the presence of God. There was nothing else. They would have had to go back, dive into the water, swim down to the bottom of the sea to find the chariots and to find the Egyptians that had been pursuing them and terrifying them before God swallowed them with the sea. You need to let chariots that are at the bottom of the ocean stay at the bottom of the ocean and keep walking towards where God's called you. Don't go back and start digging and swimming back where he's called you out of to find the thing that was once the terror of your life. He swallowed it in perfect love. You need to know that. Just as important as him opening that sea was him closing it on the things that were pursuing you. They're back there. They're at the bottom of the ocean. They no longer have authority. They no longer have the ability to harm you. The only way that they have influence in your life is if you choose to go back swimming in the ocean, diving to the bottom of the sea and digging them back up. Yeah. So if that was for you, just know that when God speaks something like that to you, it's because right where you are, He knows, He sees, and He does not intend for you to settle for less. He didn't want the Israelites walking in fear. It wasn't enough just for Him to take them out of Egypt He wanted no fear of Egypt to remain in them. He wanted no grip of Egypt to remain in them. So when he brought them out of Egypt, he not only brought them away, he swallowed up everything that pursued them from the life that they lived before. It was as if he was cutting it off and completely, imagine that, he's cutting it off with water. And then he calls us, he says, when you believe, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you too shall receive this. Why are we immersed into water into His death? The Bible tells us. It's because when we come up, we're a new creation, alive in Christ. The old us has passed away and behold, everything has become new. He uses water over and over again in the Word to show us that He has no desire for who we were or what we were afraid of to follow us into the life that He's calling us into. The sooner we get off the shore staring back in fear, wondering if the chariots are going to float to the top and chase us again, the sooner we'll go forward towards what He's called us into. Don't stand... Listen, there were times He called them to stand on the banks and look and wait. He called them to the edge of the Red Sea and then He told them nothing to do but stand there and watch while He did what He was supposed to do. But then there were times He called them to forget the Red Sea that was behind them and to move forward into what He called them into. Sometimes we stand and wait and watch. Other times we move forward into what He's called us into. And knowing what He's saying to do at, that, at the times that, you know, knowing the season that you're in and knowing what He's calling you into is so important, so vital. 
But somebody, I'm telling you, it's so strong on me, somebody, and probably more than one person if I had to guess, get out of the water, quit swimming back down there, quit digging up things that were, quit being afraid that what always has been always will be. So much of the anxiety that we have in life is the fear that the way things were is the way that things will be. You have to realize that the person you were when those things happened is not the person that He's calling you to be. And that even if the pattern tries to repeat itself, there's something different and it's you. Everything is not the same because you've been changed. That pattern has to have everything the same to keep repeating itself. And at some point, you become new. You become a new creation. You become different. And now suddenly that same old pattern can't repeat itself because you're changed, not because the world's changed. Because you are. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 103. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Awesome? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I felt like Carl had something to share. I kept looking back, but his eyes were closed. And he didn't see me. Um, so then I stood there with, just looking forward, and I pretty soon he kept said, I feel like I got something real quick to share. And of course it ties into what we're getting ready to talk about. Um, isn't it awesome that we're all filled with the same Spirit? Isn't it awesome that we're all connected? You know, isn't it awesome that we all share in the fruit of everything that we're as a body, I mean, in the world, but here in Greenville and here in this building even, and the the family that he's called us into, that we all share in it? I was talking to someone this morning, and they were telling me, they said, you know, sometimes I I could beat myself up because I feel like I don't... I don't spend the time in, in the Word that you, know, that you or other people do, or I don't do this, and I don't do that. And I said, listen to me. If you stopped doing what you were doing, and you decided to do, do the things that I'm doing, who would do what you're doing? And see, when you're out in the workplace, and you're working, not spending your time studying the Word, but spending your time being an example of how the Kingdom of God operates in business and earning money, and, and sowing into this house so that what's happening here can continue to go out. You guys realize that there's people in every continent besides Antarctica, I think. I don't want to be decided. I think besides every, in every continent, there are people who listen to these messages and, and download them every single week that we get letters in from all over the world of people telling us how encouraged they are and how much they're growing, how much... That's fruit that we all share in. That's not me. I'm simply doing what God's called me to do and being obedient to speak the things He gives me to speak. And I'm able to do that because you guys and everyone here is obedient to the things God's called them into. And there's places I can't go and there's places you can't go. So I go where He's called me to go and you go where He's called you to go. And the kingdom of God goes everywhere that He wants it to be. We all share in that. Every one of us. When they write into the website, they say thank you to me a lot of times. It's because they don't know your name and they don't know what you do or they would thank you too. So from the people who don't know how to thank you, I'm saying thank you. Because every good thing that comes from this church is fruit of us as a body. Every single one of us share in that. There's people, there's groups of people in other countries that every week get together and download and listen to the messages together and are being fed by the Word of God that's coming out of this place. And that is fruit from every single one of us. I am able to be who I'm able to be because you guys are able to be who you're able to be. And together as a body, the hand is not more important than the foot. 
Don't ever beat yourself up for who you're not. Praise Him for who He's called you to be. And thank Him that everything that He's doing through this house and through His bride universal, that we all get to be a part of it and we all get to share in the fruit of that. And when we get to heaven, people aren't going to find me because they're going to see you and they're going to realize you were just as much a part of what God was doing in their lives as I was. But they don't know that right now. So for the people that don't know, I'm saying thank you. Thank you for being who God's called you to be and for doing what God's called you to do. It's awesome. I, I feel so privileged to just to be a part of it. I do. It's like, man, he could have called anybody in the world to do what I do. And I feel so honored that he called me. He could have called anyone in the world to do what you do. And he called you. And let's not ever take that for granted. And let's not ever beat ourselves up because we're not this. Because every time we're not that, it's because we're being this. And this and that are all important. They all matter. They all make a difference. All right, Psalm 103. Uh, we're going to get to it this morning. Last week we talked about guarding your heart. If you weren't here, you can, you can um, check out that episode on the podcast. It's available online, iTunes, um, different places. But if you didn't listen to last week's, you should listen to it at some point. This is just a continuation that we talked about. The, uh, the idea of guarding our hearts last week. And last week we talked about just what can happen if we don't guard our hearts. There are some ways that the enemy makes inroads into our lives through an unguarded heart. And, and we talked about just, just how to notice that and what to do if we see that. And I wanted to talk th- this week, um, and maybe next week too, and, um, just about ways that we do guard our heart. Ways that we keep our heart good soil. Ways that we keep ourselves free and unentangled with the affairs of this world. James says this is pure religion in the sight of God to take care of the widows and the orphans and to keep oneself unsoiled by the world. What's he saying? Don't become tangled in what's out there. Be impressed with what's in here. What lives in you is more powerful than what's out there. But it's up to us to keep ourselves unsoiled. Keep ourselves unentangled. To guard our hearts. It says guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the issues of life. The NIV says above all else guard your heart for everything you do flows from that. In other words, what's inside your heart, the core of you, the center of you, who you really are, not who people think that you are. See, that's why Jesus, when he's talking to Peter, he says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're this. He says, but but you, Peter, who do you say that I am? Because it doesn't really matter what other people would say about you. It matters what you believe about you. It doesn't matter what other people say about who God is or who Jesus is for you, who the Holy Spirit is in you. None of that matters. It's what you believe to be true. Who do you believe that I am? Like he would ask every one of us that question because we would say, well, well, you know, so-and-so says this and -and so-and-so says that. We could have all these answers about who Jesus is and they could all be true answers. But what really matters is who do you say? Who do I say that he is? Who is he to me? And this is just talking about this, this idea of guarding your heart. Guard what you believe at your core. Guard what you, is inside of you and what rules you. Because from that flows everything you do. Everything happens through the lens of what I believe. And the most important thing that I can have is what do I believe about Him? Who do I say that He is? See, because who He is matters less in the way that I live my life than who I think that he is. It's the truth. Because the way that I see him is the way that I'll relate to him. 
See, you could be the nicest person in the world. You could be someone that's on a routine. You could be somebody who every morning gets up and puts dental strips in your mouth to whiten your teeth. And every day someone walks by as you're getting your mail or something and they say hi. And you can't even say hi because your mouth's full of those things. You ever try to talk with those things in your mouth? It tastes disgusting. It leaks into your mouth. And plus you're like, you know, and then they're like, oh, bless his heart. Look at that. He's so functioning. And, and so, so you may not even say something to people, right? And, and, and you may be the nicest person in the world, but when they walk by, all you do is wave and you never talk to them and they could judge that you're actually not that nice of a person, that you're not very friendly. Well, that person's not interested in talking to anybody. They just keep to themselves. They never open their mouth. If they were around you for five minutes after you took those things out, they'd realize you're one of the nicest, most talkative people in the world. But see, who you are doesn't matter. It's who they think that you are that affects the way that they relate to you. And just because you are nice and talkative and all those things, if all they know of you is the you that has strips in your mouth that happens to see them as they head to work every day and you never speak, it doesn't change them just because their idea of who you are isn't right. So what we believe about God matters as, is as important as what is really true about God. That's why Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Because what you believe about me will determine the way that you live your life. He said, you're the Christ. You're the deliverer. You're the chosen one. You're the Messiah. You're the one who God chose to lead us into the life that he has for us. You're the one who comes to take away the sin of the world. You're the one who will lay down your life. You're the good shepherd. You're the Christ. You're his anointed one. You're the son of the living God. Jesus got really excited and said, tell you you're blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you but my father who's in heaven what's he saying the only way to know who i really am is to have it revealed to you by the father because what people tell you can point you in the right direction but if you don't have revelation from the father you'll walk around with an incomplete picture of who he really is you have to know him and you have to hear him for yourself that's the difference between meat and milk like we read in the bible like we you know a lot of times we think milk is like you know, the basics of the gospel and meat is like the weightier things of God. No, milk is something that's been processed by someone else and given to you. And when you're a baby, you need someone to process stuff for you and break it down for you so that you're able to be uh, edified by it, so that you're able to, to absorb it, so that you're able to actually be strengthened by it. But at some point, Meat is something that has not been, been processed by somebody else. It's something that you go get yourself. It's something that you eat, that you take in, and that edifies you, that you went and got for yourself, that you went to the Father. See, Peter says, the milk of the world says this, but here's the meat. Here's what he showed me, is that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's awesome to have, you know, we have podcasts and teachings all over the place, and, and you, can, you can turn on the TV with different cable channels at any time and hear preaching and see worship, and, and you can go to conference after conference, and all, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they're no substitute for you alone with the Father having things revealed to you by Him. And if your life ever becomes more dependent on somebody else than it does Him, you're in danger, and your only ability to be who He's called you to be is their ability to be exactly who you need them to be. And now you've placed your life into the hands of somebody else rather than into the hands of the Good Shepherd. And you better hope and pray that they don't ever get something wrong because your ability to be perfect is only as good as their ability to perfectly teach you. 
I'm telling you, that's why, like, it's awesome that people come here and they're like, man, we just, we love the messages. And I, I think that's great because they're not mine. God gives them to me. So I can't take any credit for it. I don't have any ego tied to the messages or any of that stuff. But I hope and pray that when we're alone, we're searching out the deep things of God for ourselves. I hope and pray that what I say spurs us on into love and good deeds. I hope and pray that it does what God created the Word that He implanted in me to do. But I hope above all that, that when we're alone, we're seeking Him out for ourselves and that we know the things that we know because He showed us. Someone may have pointed us, helped us, taught us, gave us a perspective we didn't see before. Those things are awesome, but there's no substitute for going and getting alone with Him and being taught by Him, the good teacher. Yeah? Alright, we'll get to this, I promise. Psalm 103. Um, This psalm is is pretty famous, especially the first few lines of it, but I want to really dig into a lot of it. um, Because I believe that one of the the greatest ways uh, that we guard our hearts is through being thankful. I think that if your heart is full of thanks, it's hard for anything else to work its way in. That's why David said, your praise will ever be on my lips. Why? Because if the praise of God is on your lips, it's hard for anything else to come out. See, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out that defiles a man. In other words, the things that you take in, a lot of those things you're not even responsible for. A lot of times it's things people spoke to you that weren't even true. That's why we have to make sure that our lives and that we're not okay just because people around us were perfect. That the barometer for whether I'm okay wasn't whether I had perfect parents that said the right things to me all the time, or perfect friends that said the right things to me, or perfect teachers that taught me the right things. Our barometer for, what, for whether we're, we're okay and how we're doing is what's coming out of me, because that proves what I believe. And Jesus said, he said, it's not what goes into a man. There's going to be things that come into your life. People will say things to you that are not true. People will slander you, speak falsely. If Jesus is to be trusted, and I believe he is, We have way more to be worried about when everybody speaks well of us than when people speak badly of us because he said, woe to you when all men speak well of you for this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. In other words, there's only one way to have everybody speak well of you and that's to tell everybody what they want to hear. The problem with that is that somebody's not hearing truth because the false prophets would pick and choose what they would tell people because they were trying to earn their favor rather than obedience to God. So people will say things to you sometimes that just are completely untrue. People that have no clue who they are have no clue who you are. If they don't see themselves rightly before the Father, there's no way they see you rightly before the Father. And a lot of times they hate what's in you. Because Jesus said if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. In other words, don't feel bad when people hate you for no reason. It's because they don't like who's in you, not because of you. Don't take it personally. Just understand that if they knew who they were and they were born again and they were filled with the same spirit that was in you, they would be excited and rejoice when they saw you because they'd recognize that spirit. But because they're not of the same spirit, when they see the spirit of God, it stirs up enmity inside of them and they can't stand you and they don't like you and they will say things to you that are not true in many cases because they want you to respond the way they respond respond if somebody does that to them because then they can write your life off and say he's just like me if they can get you to respond the way they know they would respond see that's all they're doing they're saying they basically have determined if someone did this to me this is the way that i would respond and so then they treat you that way because they expect you to respond the way that they would respond but there's something different about you there's a different spirit in you that's why when they tried to call down fire jesus said to them you don't know what spirit you're of 
In other words, you guys don't understand. You're acting like the world, and you don't understand the Spirit of God is what's supposed to be leading and guiding you. You're responding the way anybody would respond, but you're supposed to respond differently because you're of a different spirit. And when you respond differently, it enrages them even more. Why? Because you've just proved that you actually are what you say that you are. And then they really have to question themselves and why they live the way that they do. promise you. I promise you, if you responded in anger, if you responded the way they know that they would respond, they would be totally happy. They actually would be in a better mood if you got angry and yelled back at them than they are when you respond with love and kindness. Because they don't want you to respond with love and kindness. They want you to prove that there's nothing different about you and that you're the same as them. Because then they can shut that voice up in their head that says, how come they're different? Because you notice when people are different. You notice it. I notice it. When we go places, we're on one end of the scale or the other, you notice when people are different. You know when somebody's filled with the Spirit of God and following Jesus when you encounter them. You don't even have to ask them many times. There's something different about them. And when you're filled with that same Spirit, you get excited. You want to high-five them. I always want to tell people, you're a Christian, aren't you? You follow Jesus. You're in love with Jesus. You're, like, I, because you can recognize that, and it's exciting. But in the same way, when you're not, you can recognize that too. And because you hate Him, you hate the, per, the, the person who's filled with Him. And all they're trying to do is get you to take the bait and respond the way that they did so they can shut up that voice in their conscience that says there's a different way to live. You respond with a... That's why it says when you love your enemy, it's like putting hot coals on their head. Listen, if you've ever love somebody to put hot coals on their head, you've missed the point. And it hasn't put hot coals on their head. That's not a plan of action. That's a promise. Why? Because when you love people that don't love you, that are trying to get you to respond the way they would respond, it proves something that they desperately want to believe is not true. And that's that you are different. All right. So here's, here's David. We, we go through hard times in our lives, hard times. And I'm not making light of things that we deal with, because we do. People deal with really hard things. And I think it's important that we understand that the people in the Bible that we read about dealt with really hard things. That it wasn't like when they got saved, God became the janitor that went before them and just cleaned every little mess up and made sure that never there was anything that ever came against them. It's the contrary. A lot of times they got saved and immediately the enemy came after. A lot of times they encountered God and immediately their troubles began because now they're a threat to the enemy. It's like, you know, if you're a prison guard and you've got everyone in prison and they're sitting there playing dice... You don't care. But when one person makes a break for it and starts climbing the fence towards freedom, suddenly they've become a threat. Suddenly they have your attention and suddenly they become attacked. Why? The same thing with us and with the kingdom of heaven. It's like, man, when you're in the prison and you're stuck there and you don't even know that you're stuck there, you're enjoying yourself playing cards at the table, he doesn't care about you at all. He will leave you alone. He's happy to do it. But you start making your way in a different direction, start heading towards freedom, and suddenly you become a threat to him. And now the persecution starts. And so David's being persecuted. Literally, like being persecuted. Literally running for his life. And in this time, he wrote so many amazing things. Some things he wrote were were crazy, right? Like, God, they want to eat my flesh. 
Like he literally thought that at this point, like that he was so hated that they wanted to actually devour him. And he called out, like sometimes he was like, God, where are you? Don't like wag the finger too hard at him because every one of us has had a thought in our hearts that said, God, where are you? We just didn't write it down and publish it for all the world to see for all of eternity. But he always comes back to truth. But My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The end of the verse. But you have never forsaken me. Why? Because even though I feel one way, there's truth inside of me that eventually wins out and the truth is actually what I believe. And so he's writing in Psalm 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. That word within means the center. The center of me the heart of me, the core of me, all that's within me, not just my lips. There's a whole, huge difference between from your heart and with your lips. That's how Jesus said that, I tell you the truth, your father will treat you the same way unless you forgive your brother from your heart, not from your lips, because anybody can say it. It's from your heart because that means you actually live it. See, because once I forgive you from my heart, it means that inside of me there is nothing that holds that against you ever again, and I will never treat you based on the thing that I've forgiven you for, ever. I will never look at you, judge you, or treat you based on the thing that I've forgiven you for because I forgave you with all of me. There's nothing in me that holds on to the right to judge you for the thing I've forgiven you for. That's what Jesus was saying. He's saying, listen... You know, he talked about the the parable of the the unforgiving servant. He said, I tell you the truth, your heavenly Father will do the same to you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It's easy to forgive from your lips because you know that you should because it's the Christian thing to do. Because you, you want the person to feel better in a moment when you see that they're actually struggling with grief about something. It's a whole other thing to actually think about it and say, okay, I'm choosing at this moment to be like the Father is to me and I'm going to actually forgive them and that means I release any ability to use what I'm forgiving them for against them ever again. It's one thing to say that in a moment and mean that in a moment, but then it's living it out for the rest of your life because immediately after doing that, the enemy will come to you and try to remind you of it and try to get you to think about what they did. That's when you have to remember, wait a minute, those chariots were swallowed up by his love. I'm not turning around and digging that stuff up. It's a trap. I'm going forward. And so he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. And then it's it's almost like... It's almost like there's resistance inside of him. As I read this through, I try to put myself where he is. and, And it's almost like he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me. Give Him praise. But yet, the minute he knows he should do that, it doesn't resonate in his heart immediately, and it's not what finds its way to his lips. You ever been in that place where it's like, you know in your mind you want to praise the Lord, but something inside of you is resisting, where it's like, I know I should praise Him, I know He's good, I know that I should bless the Lord right now, but, 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 but maybe it's because of circumstances, because this or that's going on, or, or maybe it's because of feelings. Right now I don't feel like it. And I think that's where David was at this moment. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. All, why is he commanding his soul to bless the Lord? Because there's something going on in the natural that would keep him from blessing the Lord unless he commanded his soul to. Because when things are going excellent, you don't have to tell yourself to rejoice and be happy. 
But he's like, I think in this moment, the reason why he says what he's about to say next is because he's having to command himself to bless the Lord. Which means, right now, I'm not in a place... Like, honestly, when you have the best day of your life and the best news comes and everything's going your way, do you have to command yourself to bless the Lord? Like, just think about it. Do you have to say, oh man, this is so awesome. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that's within. No, it's, it's a natural response because we respond to things that are going on around us. And when things are going good, a lot of times it's no problem for us to bless the Lord. But I think that right now there was everything going on in his life that would keep him from in the natural seeing something that was worth blessing the Lord. But yet David knows that in this moment it's important that I choose to bless the Lord and to set my affection and my attention upon him because everything else in life is fighting the other direction. And, and he, so he commands himself that, but I, I, I just feel like there's just resistance. Like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that's within me give him praise. So he goes on. Bless the Lord, O my soul, he repeats again. And forget none of his benefits. So all of a sudden now he's like, okay. I've commanded my soul to bless the Lord. I've commanded my inner being, the center of me, all that's within me, to praise His name. But at this moment, that's not coming out of me. So I have to do something that will cause that to rise up in me. What does he say? He says, and forget none of His benefits. When we find ourselves in a place where our hearts are under assault, a really, really good idea is to start remembering the benefits of the Lord and who He is and what He's done and what He's promised to do. It's such a safeguard for our hearts, a heart of thankfulness. Because now suddenly, we, because you can't start thanking Him for everything He's done and promised to do and keep your eyes on the things around you that would keep you from doing that in the first place. You have to choose one or the other. That's why Jesus said no man can serve two masters. In other words, there's something mastering your life right now. Is it all these things that would keep you from blessing the Lord or is it going to be the remembrance of what He's done and the remembrance of what He's promised to do that's going to be the master of my life right now? What is going to dominate my thoughts? What's going to dominate my heart what is going to be the thing that comes out of me and so he says bless the lord O my soul and all that's within me give him uh, all that's within me bless his holy name bless the lord O my soul forget none of his benefits and then he doesn't just stop there like sometimes that might be enough to just be like god i just thank you for all that you've done and suddenly your heart becomes engaged. You start thinking about the Father. You take your eyes off of one thing and you put your eyes on another thing. Right? A lot of times, it's, it's what we were talking about earlier this morning when I, before we started worship. It's that we're saying yes to this thing and in that yes is the no to everything else. But we're not thinking about the no's. We're just thinking about the yes. Right? It's like when the bride comes walking down the aisle. I'm looking down and I saw my wife... 15, over, over 15 years ago, I was standing up on stage, there's this long aisle, and, and, and all of a sudden, they open the doors, and there she stands, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm looking at her, and I, can't hard, I can hardly breathe, my heart is racing, and all I can think at that moment, and I didn't even know that I was thinking this, I wasn't consciously aware of this until God showed me, was I get to say yes to her Forever. In that moment, I'm saying no to every other woman in the world. 
I wasn't thinking an ounce about the other women that I was saying no to because I was thinking about the one that I get to say yes to. And in that yes was the no to everything else. What is my attention on? It's why we can't make sin our focus. If we try to teach our kids, no, 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 no. They may walk around going, no, 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 no. But their focus is on the no's rather than saying, say yes to Him. What He has is better. That you can actually live this life filled with Him. And if there's a no out there, it's only because He wants to keep it for a better yes. If there's a no, there's something in that that is, that is not good because He is good and every good and perfect gift comes down from Him, the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. So if there's a no out there, it's because there's a better yes. My focus is on what's the better yes. God says no to every other woman. Why? Because He wants me to be able to say fully yes to one woman for the rest of my life. But it's the woman that I'm saying yes to that's my focus, not the no, 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 no. But what we set our heart upon will be what guides our lives. Guard your heart with all diligence for everything you do flows from that. So if my heart turns to thankfulness to Him, sometimes that's all it takes. But then there's sometimes where it's like, oh God, I thank you for everything you've done. And David could have stopped there, but I believe he was really facing a really, really hard time at this point. He's being pursued. The threats are on his life. The promises haven't come to pass yet. Everyone's turned their back on him. And he finds himself in this place where he has to like remind himself of why he should want to praise the Lord. If you never find yourself in that place, awesome. But I bet you, at some point, you'll find yourself in a place where even though you know you should want to praise Him, even though you know that you should want to bless Him, it's the hardest thing to do in that moment. And when David finds himself in that place, he says, bless the Lord and forget none of His benefits. And then he starts to list them. He says, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. What's he saying? All my sins are forgiven by him. Every one of them. He starts off with what? It's the greatest gift that the Father ever gave us. This is David in the Old Covenant. And when he speaks, it's as if someone who understands the covenant that God's going to make. And he says, first of all, God, everything that I've done, all my iniquities, you've pardoned. Every one of them. Not that I've never had an iniquity. He doesn't say, God, I thank you that I have never sinned. He says, God, I thank you that you have pardoned everything I've ever done wrong. Everything. And you heal all my diseases. What's he saying? He says, all your, who heals all your diseases. He's writing it that way for two reasons. One, we would read it later and we would realize he wasn't just talking about himself because we have a tendency sometimes to read the Bible and hear it as for those people, but not for us. So he specifically says, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. But he's also speaking to himself. He's reminding himself of what God's done and he's speaking to himself as if he's out there talking to himself in here. He says, who heals all your diseases. What is the promise? If there's a disease, there's a healing. If there's a disease, there's a cure. If there's something wrong, there's something right that He has for it. That every single thing, first He pardoned my sin, then He heals all my diseases, all of them. He redeems my, my life from the pit. 
What does that mean? David's saying, listen, if I'm in a pit, then there's redemption coming. He's reminding himself, I think at this moment he was probably in a pit in his own mind. And he's reminding himself, he's the one who redeems my life from the pit. I don't have to try to figure my way out of this. It's not up to me to brilliantly figure this thing out and come up with a strategy and a plan and get God on board with it. He's the one who redeems my life from the pit. So if I'm in a pit, there's redemption coming. And you can see where maybe his spirit's starting to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but what about... So he keeps going. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. That word crown there is the Greek word, or Hebrew word atar which means to encircle for attack or protection. Well, let's not just gloss over that. He says, you encircle me. You surround me with loving kindness and with compassion. And it's not just to protect me. It's also to attack. You guard your heart by remembering that I'm surrounded by the kindness and the compassion of God. And that's both a safeguard over me and a warrior for me. Why? Because in Romans 2.4 it says, or do you, not, do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That word repent means to change the way that you think. That means when I'm in a pit or when I look around and everything tells me that I should do anything but praise Him, it's the kindness of God that leads me to change the way that I think. And suddenly I start thinking about different things. And what I meditate on, what I set my heart on becomes His kindness and His compassion. Just think that, and it says it encircles us to protect and to attack. So any thought that's coming against you, anything that's coming against you in that moment, the kindness of God changes the way you think and it's actually a weapon against whatever it is that's coming against you because you cannot be so aware of His kindness and compassion and be so aware of what the enemy is trying to attack you with at the same time. It's impossible. You will either be focused on one or you'll be focused on the other. And when you're thinking about His kindness, like, think about it. God, you're so kind and so compassionate. I just picture it like, they want to kill me. They want me dead. They're trying to find me and turn me in because they want favor with the king. They're pursuing me from cave to cave. They've turned their back on me and rejected me. They won't allow me in their homes because I'm not safe. They won't allow me in their city because when I come into their city, it brings the army into their city. Everybody's turned their back on me, God. Everybody but Jonathan has rejected me at this point. My own brothers have mocked me. I can't go home to my father's house because I don't want to bring the wrath of the king upon my family. God, I'm all alone. And all of a sudden, it's like, but wait a minute. But you've been so kind. You've been so compassionate. There's been times where my life should have been destroyed by the lion, by the bear, by the giant by the armies of the Philistines. There's times where my life should have ended, but your kindness and your compassion has encircled me and it's protected me and it's even attacked the thing that came against me. Because what was the thing that attacked Goliath when David went down to fight him? Surely God will. He didn't say, surely my sling will, surely this rock will, surely my skill will. He didn't say any of that. He said, he's done this and he's done that. Surely he'll do this. 
What is it? It's the kindness and compassion of the Lord that encircles his life. And suddenly he's like, God, you're so kind. You saw me on the backside of, I can just picture, you saw me on the backside of a hill when no one even remembered that I was alive when my own father forgot to invite me to the event that was going to be the crowning of the king by Samuel the prophet. God, he, didn't, he thought so little of me that he didn't even invite me to come because my own father thought there was no chance that I'm the king. But you saw me and you saw a king. Oh God, how kind you are to me. How compassionate you are to me. When there was times where my life should have been destroyed, even when I made decisions that should have brought ruin, your compassion reached down and said, I have something better for me for you and you lifted me up from the pit because you're the one that redeems my life from the pit all of a sudden that spirit inside of him starting to catch on and it's like what's really true is starting to trump what's true truth is starting to trump reality well open your eyes and just face the facts what if i don't need to open my eyes for the facts to be seen Because I believe more in what he said than what I see. And this is what David's doing because he's in a hard place. He's commanding himself and all of a sudden now he's remembering, oh wait a minute, you're so kind and you're so compassionate. Look at what you've done for me. Look at everything you've done. If God never did another thing for me, he's already ransomed my life. He's rescued me. He's sent his son. And we can actually start to do these things. Like, this isn't a theory. This doesn't just work for David. It's like, I find myself in this place where I feel depressed. I feel down. I feel afraid. I feel ashamed. I feel scared. I find myself in that place. The best thing that I can do is command myself, you know what? I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to bless His holy name. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to start reminding myself of why. And I'm going to give myself a reason to praise Him. I'm going to remind myself of everything he's done. Why? Because when I remind myself of what he's done, I'm also prophesying over myself what he will do. It's not just this is who he was. This is, it's me saying this is who he is and this is who he will be. And so David now is, he's kind of on a roll. All right? Because now it's no longer just the next, the next verses who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now he's not just like, God, you rescued me and you ransomed me and you redeemed me. Those are, those are amazing places to start, but he doesn't stay there. See, if our Christianity is only, well, you know, God saved me from hell, then we will live below where Jesus Christ died for us to live our lives because he died for so much more than for you not to go to hell and for you to go to heaven one day. And David starts talking about that. See, first he reminds himself, man, he rescued me and he redeemed me. And his kindness and his compassion, they encircle me. They surround me everywhere I go. That's why this man David earlier in the Psalms could write, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of his life. Why? He's not worried about Egypt following him because the Lord's following him. And he says, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. When he hears the sound behind him in a dark room, he doesn't get afraid because it's just goodness and mercy. They're following him. It's what they do. They're stalkers. Looking for you to overtake you. Not to bring you harm, but for goodness and for mercy to overtake you all the days of your life. And so now he moves on. He says, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. My years. He doesn't say who satisfies my eternity with good things. He says, my years. In, in heaven, there is no time. There's no measure of time. There's no beginning. There's no end. He's not talking about one day when I go to heaven, you'll fill my life with good things. 
He says, you satisfy my years, my measurable units of time here on this earth. You satisfy them with good things. That word satisfied there, um, I knew what it meant. And I had it written down. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Is uh, sabea, which means you fill to satisfaction or to overflow. So he fills to satisfaction. This is the Bible. This is not some man-made theology that we came up with and we're hoping that God will bless. It's the Gospel. All throughout the Gospel, Jesus promises, I came to give life and life abundantly. I came to bless you. God, in Jeremiah, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts to bless you and not harm you. It's all throughout the Bible. God wants to bless His people. That's not like a prosperity gospel. That's the gospel. It's not the point of the gospel. It's part of the gospel. If we make it the point rather than a part, we'll get so far off in left field that we'll think everything is about being blessed in some way. And the next thing you know, we're chasing blessing rather than the one who blesses. That's not what this is about. But for us to ignore it and act like it's not in there would be foolish. He he says that He is the Lord who takes delight in the prosperity of His servants. He takes delight in it. For me to neglect it and act like He doesn't robs Him of something that He takes delight in. You You really ought to get used to the fact that He actually likes when you're prosperous because He takes delight in it. And for you to close your life off to it and say, well, that's just not for me. I'm just meant to be this or I'm just meant to be that. Maybe you should stop saying that and let the Word of God align what you're supposed to and what you're meant to be so that He can take delight in something for His purpose and His pleasure. Because He said it. Alright. That went over. <laughs> Why is it? Why, why do, like, I feel like some of us are more uncomfortable thinking that God wants to bless us than we would be if we thought that God wanted to harm us. Like, which makes us more comfortable? Why would we be uncomfortable with the fact that He's a good Father who loves to give good gifts to His children? He said, you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you'll ask? What's He saying? You guys know how to bless your children, and you're not perfect like me. How much more delight do you think I take in giving good gifts to my children? Why? He wants us blessed to be a blessing. It's not so that I can have so much and just die with everything. It's so that people that come into contact with me can be blessed by the Father through my life. I'm a conduit of blessing everywhere that I go. It's why He filled my heart with His love. Why? Not so that I can just sit in a room and go, wow, you love me. You were not meant to sit with a harp in a room. You're not going to sit on a cloud with a harp in heaven. You were meant to go out and overflow the love of God into people. It's why He lavishes His love upon us so that we can go and proclaim proclaim the excellencies of His love. It's all in your Bible. Every single thing that I'm saying, I promise you, I'm horrible about giving Scripture in verse because it takes forever, but every single thing that I'm saying is in there. Well, yeah, but but many are are the troubles of the righteous, yeah? But the Lord God is faithful to deliver them from them all. Yeah, but in this life, you'll, you'll, you'll face tribulation. Take heart, for I have. In this world, you'll face tribulation. You know, people love to quote that one half of it. Well, you know, the Bible says in this life, you'll face tribulation. That's true, but he kept talking. When we're silent when he's speaking, we rob ourselves. When we're speaking when he's silent, we're foolish. 
But when we are silent, when he keeps speaking, we rob ourselves and we rob others of the richness of what he said. He didn't leave that. There's no period there. He says, in this world, you will face tribulation. That word tribulation there means pressure. You'll face pressure in this world. I promise you, the world is trying to conform you. It's trying to press you into a mold and make you just like itself. The enemy is trying to reproduce himself inside of you. And everybody who is following the enemy is going to try to pressure you into living that same life that they are. But he said, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And where are we? In Christ. You know, the thing that Paul uses to describe who you are more than any other phrase in the Bible is in Christ. Why? Because when you read a statement that says, take heart, for I have overcome the world, you can know that you're in him. And if he's overcome and I'm in him, then I've overcome. And that's why he could say you're more than an overcomer. The head and not the tail above and not beneath. Blessed as you come and blessed as you go in the field and in the city. That's the word of God. <laughs> it is. And somehow we've made it this evil thing. Well, you know, the, the love of money. You know, money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of, of many kinds of evil is what the word says. And it's true. If you love it and you give it your heart and you give it your affection, man, it will ruin you. Those who seek to be rich find themselves in many snares. That's why we're not seeking to be rich. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Why? Because if he has your heart and you have his, then he can give you those things that you're not seeking after and you can be a blessing to other people and be blessed in your life without it ruining you. We've got to stop being more comfortable with feeling like God wants to harm us than we are with feeling like God wants to bless us. Sometimes He'll make you uncomfortable with blessing. To break that out of you, He did it to me. I had a hard time receiving things. I had no problem giving things, and I had no problem believing that everybody else should be blessed by God, but I had a really hard time believing it for myself. And I had a friend, a pastor in town named Chad, who said to me one day, he said, you have no problem giving, but son, you have a hard time receiving. He said, that's a little bit of orphan in you, and God's going to drive that out of you. That's my Chad Norris impression. And he said, fact, he's going to drive it out of you by blessing you to the point where you're going to either just be miserable or you're going to accept it, one or the other. That's what he said. And you know what the truth of the matter is? Because I did have some of that mentality in me. I actually was nervous about what he said rather than excited. See, that's how you know that what he's saying is true is because the thought of him blessing me and making me uncomfortable didn't excite me. It made me like, oh, crud. What are you going to do? And it just started. It was blessing after blessing. It was ridiculous blessing after ridiculous blessing after ridiculous. And he hasn't stopped. The only thing that's changed is I've learned to just say, thank you, Father. This is awesome. You really are good. I knew you were. Like Job, I had heard with my ears, but now I've seen with my eyes. It's like it's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to actually experience it and know it for yourself. That's why you've got to get off milk and get on meat because it's one thing to hear something. It's a whole other thing to experience it for yourself because then no one can take it from you because nobody gave it to you. Everything given to you by a person can be taken to you from you by a person. But everything that he's given, Jesus said, those whom he's given to me, no one is able to take them from my hand. What's he saying? If, I, if you got it from me, no one can take it from you. And so he 
he blessed us and, and brought me out of that place of being uncomfortable with it just by blessing. It, it literally got to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to have to learn to enjoy this or I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life because it doesn't look like he's changing his mind. He hasn't yet. I feel like there's so much stuff in here that's just hitting individual people right where they are. I love that. I love when I preach through a verse like this and so much stuff comes out that I didn't have in my notes because I know it's just the Holy Spirit in me speaking directly to people's hearts. I didn't know you were going to be here today, but He did. Well, He said He satisfies my years. He fills to satisfaction my years with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle. If what I'm dealing with is not a good thing, it's not from Him. Say that again. If what I'm dealing with is not a good thing, it's not from Him. Because He said that He gives good gifts and because He says He satisfies your life with good things. Now, I may not have the perspective necessary to know that what I think is a bad thing is actually a good thing. And it may be years later that I see the thing that I thought was from the enemy was actually from the Father. But it's a comforting place to be in to say, if I'm facing something, if I'm following Him, now if I'm walking in obedience and I'm following Him, if He's my shepherd, that means I'm one of His sheep. That means I'm in His fold. I'm following Him. If He's my shepherd and I'm following Him, then if I'm facing something that's not a good thing, it's not from Him. And I can actually pray to Him and ask Him to be delivered. Why? Because it's not from Him to begin with. But if I believe that everything that happens in my life, good or bad, is from Him, how do I pray to the One who I believe is the One who brought me to it to begin with? I'll be confused. So what's David doing right now? He's reminding himself, wait a minute, someone wanting to kill me is not a good thing. That's How many of you guys would agree that's a bad thing? That's not a good thing. So David reminds himself in this in the moment is see everything he's saying is speaking directly to something that he's experiencing. It's not just like random things he's throwing out there. Oh yeah, and 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 you satisfy my life with good things so that my strength is renewed. It's not just floating words out there. He's saying things that are what are they doing? It's the kindness of God changing the way that he thinks and the things that he's saying are attacking things that are coming against him. So he's reminding himself, wait a minute, that's not a good thing that someone wants to kill me. That's not a good thing that someone has bore false witness against me. That's not a good thing that somebody has slandered my name. It's not a good thing that someone has hired people to find me and kill me. So it's not you. So I can relax and know that you're with me and that I'm walking through this valley of the shadow of death, but you're with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because the person that comes for me has to deal with you and the rod and the staff that you carry in your hand. Now all of a sudden, his perspective's changing. He went from just like, man, God, you, you rescued me and redeemed my life from the pit. To now, you, now God wants to fill his life with good things and renew his strength and renew his youth. What is renewing our youth? You remember when you were young and you were innocent? You remember before you were cynical, before people did things to you that made you think differently? the days of your youth. You remember when God was talking to the, to, to the Israelites and He said, oh, Jerusalem, or, or, or Israel, I long for you and I remember you in the days of your youth. What was that? Oh, the kids, okay. He says, I remember you in the days of your youth when you came after me and I was all that you had. What's He saying? 
He's saying, I'm restoring you. I'm filling your life with good things and I'm bringing you back to the days of your youth before you were jaded, before you were cynical, before the world came and taught you disappointment, before people taught you that you can't be trusted. And I'm bringing you back to a place of youthful innocence so that you can actually enjoy life and not live bitter, jaded, cynical, critical. I want to restore your youth. I'm going to fill your life with good things. I'm going to fill it to satisfaction with good things so that you can actually live your life the way that you were created to. I'm going to stop there. It's a good place to stop. We'll finish up the, maybe the rest of it next week. We'll get to some of it next week. Listen, if you're in a pit right now, if you're in a dark place, if you're facing things and you look around and you say, you know what, the things that I'm facing in my life right now are not good, and you find yourself actually having to command yourself to bless the Lord. Like I said, it, you don't have to command yourself to bless the Lord when everything's going right. It's a natural response when everything is good, when you're on top of the mountain, to just throw your hands up and say, God, you're so good. And that's awesome. But the way that our lives are truly changed is when we find ourselves in the bottom of the valley, we throw our hands up and we say, God, you're so good. And one of the ways that we do that is if commanding our soul, if reminding ourselves, you know what, right now, I just need to stop and start to bless and thank the Lord for who He is. I need everything in me, the center of me, the core of me, to remember who He is. If that doesn't work in that moment, start actually going through this list of stuff. Start where David starts. Who forgives all my iniquities. God, I thank You that You've forgiven every single one of my sin. That You're not judging me and You're not dealing with me. David even goes on to remind us of that later and we'll talk about that next week. But You're not rewarding me based on my actions. You don't deal with me based on my sin. God, I thank You for that. I thank You that You see me as new. And all of a sudden, your spirit starts to go, yeah, I'm new. God, you heal all my diseases. Maybe you're facing something in your life right now that outside of God there's no cure for. The great news about that is, is there's a promise in the Word that says who heals all your diseases. That one of His names is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And He called Himself that. Who redeems my life from the pit. I don't have to figure out how to climb out of this pit. I just have to figure out how to find you because I know when you, when I find you, when my eyes are on you, when you're leading me, it doesn't involve staying in pits. God, you have no intention of me staying in this pit. You redeem my life from the pit. And all of a sudden, your perspective starts changing. The things around you may not change in that moment. It's okay. They don't have to change because your perspective is starting to change. It doesn't mean the second I start blessing God that the neighbor who hates me has been taking my stuff comes over and says, hey man, uh, I just want to let you know, I actually love you and I've stole a bunch of stuff from you and I'd like to return it. That's, that may not happen. But my perspective changes and suddenly my neighbor recognizing me for who I am and treating me the way I feel I deserve to be treated has no bearing on whether or not I'm doing okay today. Because I've been redeemed. I've been set free because He's picked me up out of the pit. He encircles me with kindness and compassion for protection and for attack. 
that I actually walk surrounded by His kindness and His compassion. That there is nothing anyone can do to me that is outside of His ability for His kindness and His compassion to to defend me from, to protect me from, and to attack the lie of the enemy. Because His goodness and mercy follow me. Start reminding yourself of those things and suddenly your soul, what's in you, will start to line up with truth and you'll start to see things differently. And even though you're walking through the same valley of the shadow of death, you see Him there and suddenly you're no longer able to fear because you're not alone. We'll just continue and finish the rest of this next week because there's some really, really, really awesome stuff in there. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that you told us to guard our hearts, meaning that we have the ability to guard them. God, that you've never called us to do something that is outside of our ability to do with your help, with the Spirit of God that's in us. And so we thank you, God, that we can guard our hearts. God, I thank you that you surround us with loving kindness and compassion and that your kindness changes the way that I think. When I'm reminded of your kindness, the way that I think changes. God, I ask that this week, if we find ourselves in any situation where when we looked around us, everything inside of us would say despair, depressed, anger, frustration, outrage, feeling taken advantage of, feeling overlooked, neglected, not recognized, whatever it would be, that rather than letting that be the thing that causes us to respond, that we would stop and we would fix our eyes upon You and we would begin to out loud bless Your holy name and remind ourselves of everything that You've done and everything You've promised to do. In Jesus' name, Amen.